So we're going to talk today about both feasting and fasting. Is that okay? It, would, it, would it surprise you or help you to know that, um, that the Bible talks about both and frankly is in favor of both feasting and fasting? And we're going to try to come to terms with that a little bit as we study uh, just a little bit from the first chapter of, of uh, Daniel today. Um, so you might want to go there and kind of be finding that as I kind of set us up. Now, uh, you know about, you've probably read about, we've talked about a little bit about the dietary uh, restrictions in uh, the book of, um, in, in the Old Testament. Um, the subject of food restrictions comes way before the Bible was ever given uh, uh, by Moses to the people of God and to us. All the way back in Genesis 2, um, there was given the dietary restriction of you can eat of everything in the garden, but don't eat that. Do you remember that? And from the very beginning um, uh, of when um, it was given to uh, Noah to, to not only eat of um, uh, herbal life, uh, plant life, but to, to be able to eat uh, meat and to eat from the animals, uh, there was restrictions given to that. For instance, not uh, to eat uh, meat with the blood left in it, those kinds of things. That comes all the way back from Genesis 9. Uh, then by the time we get the law, or by the time the Israelites got the law, and we get to still read it in places like Le Leviticus 11, it tells us about the difference between unclean meat and clean meat and, and those kinds of things. Now, I want to take you a place that's really going to appropriate, be appropriate for you today if you're like me and plan to feast later today, okay? Go with me to Nehemiah 8. This is the one, this is the verse, Nehemiah 8.10, is the, and I read this in my devotionals earlier this week. This is the verse that we, from which we get the little song and the thought, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know that one? The joy of the Lord. Okay, remember that one? Saint Youth Camp, probably. Um, uh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Look at verse 10. All right, go. He said to them, this is God. He said to them, uh, actually Ezra, Ezra said to them, but but he, he had the mind of God there. Go, eat the fat. Okay? <laughs> eat the fat. Drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. That kind of sounds like today. You know, I, um, I did a pork shoulder yesterday that I plan to eat a little bit of the fat of today, you know, okay? Um, um, eat the fat, drink the sweet. Give some to those who don't have any. For, he says, um, and I've lost my place, but I know it's right here somewhere. Okay, for this day is holy to our Lord. Uh, so don't be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So there are times, like in Daniel, where Daniel will, will do some really severe restrictive dieting. And we're going to talk about that and why. But there are also times for feasting. So maybe that will help you in your um, Super Bowl thing today. What's your favorite Super Bowl food? Wings. That's a great idea. I didn't do wings this year, but that's a great idea. What's your favorite Super Bowl food? We're doing the pulled pork thing today. What's your favorite, Joe? Seven layer dip. Takes a while to put all that together. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, am I making you hungry already? I didn't eat breakfast. Don't plan to eat lunch. So I'm going to think about food and then eat some of that food. So, okay. Now, Let's talk, the year was, um, 
the year was 605 or so BC, where we're going to pick up the book of Daniel. And Daniel and others had been taken from their homes in Jerusalem to Babylon as hostages, as part of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's kind of uh, plan here. Now, to the Babylonians, okay, and we're in, we're in Daniel 1, if you're looking for where we are. To the Babylonians, the way to really do this conquering thing was to take the brightest and best and try to assimilate them into your culture, into Babylonian culture, as the case would be here. Um, um, Jehoiakim had been the king at the time. He decided uh, to surrender rather than to resist. And so all of these royal captives are taken to Babylon, about a 900-mile trip. And some of those captives are selected to be immersed in Babylonian culture involving a three-year program where they would be uh, kind of assimilated and educated into Babylonian culture. They'd be taught Babylonian literature. Um, Babylon was kind of a seat of education in those days. They'd be taught history and mathematics, astronomy and religion. And uh, the question would be then, with those captives who were taken there and kind of retrained, would they maintain their uh, Hebrew distinctive? Or would they be assimilated into this foreign culture as that culture desired? So we're going to talk about Daniel and his three friends today who were part of that entourage of royals who were taken and uh, really treated well but we're try, they were trying to assimilate them into Babylonian culture. And then we're going to compare that little story from Daniel 1 to what Jesus says about some of these things in Matthew 6. Bob, if you're back there, would you mind to read verse 5? And then I want, to jump, I want you to jump down and read 8 down through 10. Okay? one five. One five, and then jump to to uh, verse eight, and go to verse ten. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You must be in a different chapter. Go to one five, Daniel one five. Yep, that was great stuff, by the way. Just the... Let's stop right there for a second. Now, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had put what I'm going to call here interns, okay? They were interns. There was a bunch of them, not just the four in our story. And they were taken into Babylonian culture and given uh, all kinds of advantages, including all this education, to, to put them on this three-year development plan to make them smart and wise and to assimilate them into the culture. Now, for Daniel and his three buddies, they even had a name change, okay? Look at verse 6 that, that I didn't have um, Bob read just now. Uh, you remember uh, Daniel's name, it's interesting, Daniel's name remains to us remembered. His name, uh, his Hebrew name kind of stuck, okay? Um, because his Babylonian name, if you look at kind of cruise through verse 6 and 7, what was his Babylonian name? Belteshazzar, yeah. That didn't really stick. Did I say it right? I think it's Belteshazzar. Isn't there an extra, I think. Um, all right. Uh, but that name didn't really stick. 
he's still called Daniel, which, by the way, has a spiritual connotation, as, frankly, did Belteshazzar in, uh, for Babylonian deities. But he had three friends who are also part of this program, and uh, their names were what? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, interestingly, you can read their Hebrew names in verse 6 and 7 as well, but isn't it interesting that their Hebrew names for us didn't stick? What is it? Azariah and Mishael and... Uh, did I get two of them right? I can't remember the other one. Do what? Hananiah. But they didn't rhyme. You're right. They didn't rhyme. It's not as illiterate. You're right. But, but those names had a spiritual connotation too. That they, each of those names said something about God. As interestingly, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said something about Babylonian deities. But somehow those names stuck. Okay. Now, they're part of this program, and um, they're given some particular uh, things to do. Now, what were the temptations you think that Daniel faced here? Beginning back down at verse 8. Lots of peer pressure. He's in this group of interns. There's a large group of them. And, and the four that we're singled out are just four of many others. But there's lots of peer pressure. In fact, th- what I want, got to thinking about this, especially on a feasting day in the U.S., uh, Super Bowl day, what I got to thinking about is if I hadn't had a whole lot to eat and I'm invited to eat the king's food coming right from the king's banquet hall, Am I going to say, lucky me? Or am I going to say, no, thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. That's what Daniel and his three friends, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow had to do. (laughs) Sorry, really old joke, couldn't resist it. Okay, so the temptation would be (laughs) to eat Unclean meat. Now, now, I, I put a couple of references there for you back to Leviticus uh, 11 and uh, Leviticus 17. Actually, let's go to 17. Can you go all the way back to the, uh, what is that, the um, third book in the Bible, I think? Leviticus 17. There's some dietary restrictions there that I want us to just talk about a little bit. Okay? I'm going to be in verse 12. No person shall eat blood among you, nor may any alien who sojourns among you eat blood. So when any man from the sons of Israel and whom the alien sojourn among them in hunting catches a beast or a bird, which may be eaten, they'll pour out the blood and cover it in, in, on the field. Now go back to Leviticus 11, okay? And there's other restrictions about what types of animals there are to be eaten. Um, and I'm going to start with verse 1. Speak to the sons of Israel. This is verse 2, actually. These are the creatures which you may eat, whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among animals that you may eat. Now, what does that sound like? Sounds like a cow. Okay. Thank the Lord. Okay. All right. Uh, but, um, uh, and then it kind of went on. It named a few. You know, they, uh, there are those who chew the cud but don't have a divided hoof, and there are others that have a divided hoof, but don't chew the cut, uh, you know, all that stuff, and then some others that it mentions. Now, what's interesting about this, okay, 
is the bat on every corner. You know how there's a Starbucks on every corner in the U.S. now? On every corner, okay, in, um, on every corner of Babylon, there are restaurants that were known as Pork and Pony, okay? I mean, it, <laughs> if you're getting together, it's after church, where are we going? Well, let's go to the Pork and Pony because they ate a lot of pig and they ate some horse. Is Bailey here? Good, I would offend him. Sorry, but okay. They ate a lot of horse. Or, yeah. Uh, and they ate, a, and ate some pig. And Daniel knew, as did his three buddies, that they couldn't do that. And stay with the restrictions within which they've lived all their lives. And so they're, they're not going to eat from the king's table. They, they kind of face this kind of pressure. And so Daniel goes to a guy by the name, he's a Babylonian official, but he's kind of a nice guy. His name is Ashpenaz in verse 9. And he says, um, he says to him, we just can't do that. And so, and interestingly here, the word I want you to put in verse 9 in the blank, oh, you don't have blanks, so forget it. Forget it. You don't even care, do you? Ashpenaz shows him mercy. Now, let me talk a little bit about this word mercy. This word mercy is mentioned two or three times uh, in the book of, of uh, Daniel, um, reminding him that um, uh, it, it's translated somewhere compassion. Some places it's, it's translated compassion. But look at verse 9 again. Bob did a good job reading it a minute ago, but let's look at it again. Here's what it says. Daniel had made up his mind that he's not going to do that. Okay, look at verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. That's Ashpenaz. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. Okay, now the idea here is that God showed Daniel mercy through this Babylonian official. I find that really, really interesting. It might have been the mercy, it might have been compassion, or this, this guy, really, his heart kind of went out to Daniel's dilemma, but it was actually the compassion of God that was upon him. And so Daniel, hearing all this, recognizing um, that, that there's a dilemma here on the official's part, the official was, he was reasonable, Okay, he was reasonable, but he had some an issue as well. He has a reasonable concern. What's his concern? If this doesn't go well, the king's going to have my head. Now, I want you to look at two places where uh, where Ashpenaz is getting this idea. Look at two twelve. Okay, turn over just a page to two twelve. Somebody read two twelve. He's got a temper. <laughs> Steve, would you turn one more page and read 319? Okay, sorry. You have a really big Bible, evidently. <laughs> Lots of notes, okay.
That's good. Now, remember, the king's anger eventually involves Daniel's three friends. Have you ever worked around somebody who kind of had a short fuse and it stayed lit most of the time? (laughs) I have. Not now, okay, but I have. (laughs) I have. That could get me in immense trouble. So no, not now. Um, But I literally had to, about 25 years ago, I I went to one of my, to my boss, to a senior pastor in those days. This was, this was before here. And, um, and I said, you know, we were talking about how cranky the congregation had become. And I said, dude, I think it's because you're cranky most of the time. You know, I lived through it, okay? But, you know, this is our buddy Nebuchadnezzar is mad a lot of the time. He's got an anger problem, and it results in lots of people losing their head, and Ashpenaz doesn't want to be one of them. Okay? So he says to Daniel, dude, I don't know. If this doesn't go, if you don't fare well, it's not going to go well for me. So Daniel then, and in this really nice outline that I've got that you don't have, it would say next, okay, in verse 10, um, it would say, in verse 11, it would say, so Daniel devises a plan. Now somebody read verse 11 and 12. Daniel comes up with a plan. What's Daniel's plan? Give us 10 days. Give us 10 days. We'll drink nothing but water. In other words, no wine. None of the stuff. You know, there's, you know, think about it, man. These are young guys and think about it. Everybody, this is a big old fraternity and everybody else is getting liquor and great food. And they're saying, you know, feed us differently, okay? Trust me here, 10 days, feed us only water. We'll only have water to drink. And vegetables. All right, for 10 days. Okay, now, uh, he proposes this 10-day test. Somebody go ahead and read verse 13 and 14. Jan, would you do that? Now, Daniel's test here is, um, and his proposal is that so 10 days separate us from the other guys in this deal. Go ahead and feed them from the king's table. But as for me and my buddies, we'll eat only vegetables and drink water. And what is Daniel's contention then at the end of the 10 days? Yeah, we're, his contention is we're going to do just fine, and you'll see it. You're gonna do just, we're going to do just fine. And you're going to see it. Um, and so they're, they're kind of kept a little separate. They're fed a little separately. And as we get to verse 15, we see what the outcome is. I'm going to, I'm going to read from verse 15 and 16 now. Go back to it here. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. 
Okay. At the, I'm going to back up to verse 10, which I skipped, sorry. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter. That's what eating vegetables will do for you, by the way. <laughs> they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. What does it say in the NIV? I'm, I'm reading from New American Standard. Better nourished. Better nourished. Okay, Jerry, that, that probably, you know, well, sorry. Better It's probably true. Okay? They looked better than the other guys. All right? They were in better shape. At the end of the test, the desired outcome was there. Daniel and his friends had been interesting. I want you to think about this for a second. They'd been fasting on some things. Fasting from some things. But they'd been feasting on some other things. Now, what, was, what were some of the descriptors that are used here to say how much better they were? What does it say? Get nourished? Ten times better. It's kind of interesting. Now, what, what else? Look down at verse 17. What else happened to them? They got smarter. Uh, whatever diet they were on helped them learn. And that was part of what this three-year plan was, was help them learn um, uh, to get smarter, more wise. Anything else? And Daniel, uniquely, was kind of surfacing with this dream issue, which is going to save all of their lives later. And, um, and it's going to make him a confidant to the king kind of for the rest of, rest of this deal. I, I think it's interesting here. What I really believe verse 17 is telling us. Look what it says. As for these four youths, what's the next word? God. What happened next, the winning of the test, uh, their, their knowledge and their wisdom, all these things, God did that for them. And Daniel kind of knew that was coming. This was all for God's glory. Could we argue that? This was all for God's glory. And God got a lot of glory from it. It's interesting. This verse here is one of five places in the Hebrew section of the book. Now, now the book of Daniel is originally written partially in Aramaic, which is an ancient language that even Jesus spoke. Um, and partially was written in Hebrew. Well, this section comes from kind of the Hebrew section of the book uh, that Daniel writes. And Daniel uh, writes something pretty distinctive here in the text as he adds, he, where it says God, he adds an article to that. Okay, you English teachers, catch this. He adds a the before God. And the God. You and I could argue and pronounce it this way. And the God helped them to pass the test. What's Daniel saying in his text? by using that little descriptor word. He's making a big point here. The God did this. It's all to his glory. And Daniel saw it. Daniel's right in the middle of it. And he sees God's glory in the middle of it. He says, you know, whether I'm feasting on this or fasting on that, it's all about God's glory. Now, I want you to take a journey with me over to Matthew 6. Let's see what Jesus says you know, we're in this subject here 
about feasting and fasting, and we're in, in a, a, a larger discussion over these weeks about, um, about worship and what it involves. We talked about prayer last week. Today we're talking about the discipline of fasting, but we're talking about some other things. Now I want us to go to verse 16, Matthew 6, and I want us to read 16, 17, and 18. Somebody read those. <laughs> uh, did you get all the way through 18, Cindy? Jesus begins to talk about this discipline of fasting, which is kind of part of the discipline of prayer. And he begins to talk about how you should do it. Now, it's interesting, in the little research I did this week, uh, as we get into this portion of Scripture, and we can back up a few verses in, in, in chapter 6, evidently, in Jewish culture, there were three things that identified people um, as being spiritual. Okay? Three things that identified people as being spiritual. The first one's talked about in the first four verses of this chapter. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. So the first thing uh, that w that's obvious here, that spirituality is, is marked by how much you give, by stewardship. And, and what was commonly done is a person who is giving would, um, it's interesting, this whole section in all these three things, it's not necessarily what you do, it's kind of how loud you do it, okay? So uh, if you were giving and really wanted to be thought of as being spiritual, you'd make a really, really big flourish out of that. You'd make a big deal out of that. Look how much I have given. And that's what Jesus is going after in the first four verses, of chapter 6. Okay, secondly then, uh, there's another practice here. So financial stewardship is one of those things that made you look really spiritual in Jesus' day. Secondly would be um, your prayer life. And so Jesus goes after that, beginning in verse, um, I'm going to begin with verse 15. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 5. Look at verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who's in secret. And your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Okay? Now, what they, again, if I'm going to be present myself as spiritual, I need to give a lot and give really publicly, and I needed to also pray loud and long. Oh, Holy Father, we thank you for your magnificence and mercy. You know, you know what I get, you get it, okay? I was in a meeting, John, it, it was a Nazarene meeting, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and a guy prayed at the end, prayed a 20-minute benediction by the clock. And I'm thinking, what's that all about? Because evidently, there is, Jesus is going after this idea that it's not how long or how loud I pray that matters. Okay? That's the third thing. 
All right. Look at verse 16, which is uh, what Cindy read just a minute ago. Evidently, then, the third kind of benchmark of spirituality besides financial stewardship and your prayer life was this issue of fasting. So Jesus kind of goes after this. Uh, this is the guy, he, Jesus is going after the person who will say, um, you go to breakfast with a person during Lent, and they say really loudly, I have given up coffee for Lent. <laughs> I've had that happen before. Dude, why aren't you drinking coffee? I have given up coffee for Lent. Don't tempt me. Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, you know that. Okay. So isn't it interesting that Jesus goes after all these kind of benchmarks of spirituality? And here, he's talking about fasting. And I know this is kind of not fair to talk about fasting on a feast day. But we've already talked about feasting a little bit. And he says, basically he says here that the goal is to look normal. Uh, you know, the, the, the posture is to kind of be normal when you're doing this. Now, it's interesting to me, as I read the Old Testament, um, there are several passages, uh, like, in fact, you might want to go later on and read Isaiah 58, where Isaiah just kind of takes on fasting, for one thing. He says, you know what? What you're doing is just hypocritical. Don't even do it if you're going to do it that way. Jesus picks up on that theme. Jeremiah does the same thing as does Zechariah. All three of them, uh, in talking about appropriate attitudes in worship and appropriate functions in worship, they're not saying it's not good to fast. They're just saying it's not good to, you know, take out a full-page ad in the paper when you do. I, I, I caught the snickers when Cindy was reading about um, don't let it show, don't twist your face. Okay? Now, uh, I, th I think it's interesting that the goal here is to look normal, that hypocritical fasting, both by Jesus and by the prophets of the Old Testament, is condemned. So, what I want you to tell me, and look again at verse um, 18. What's the reward for the fast? This is tricky. Because a lot of people will say, you know, I got a big decision to make next week. I'm going to fast this week. Or, um, uh, you know, I got something going on in my life, and so I'm going to fast. Now, that's not a bad plan, frankly. I, I don't want to say that. But what I want to be careful of in my fasting is that it has any other goal than the one that's kind of described here in verse 18. Jan, you were saying it. What is it? It really has to do with, Lord, I love you so much that I'm willing to do whatever I can do to just draw closer to you. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. And the time that I might spend preparing and eating a meal, I'm going to spend on my knees or in the Bible or just talking to you. I'm going to hide out and you and I are going to talk. Because I want to hear from you. You see, the real goal, and, and I think I picked this up from, from both Richard Foster and from um, James Earl Massey, who write a lot about, about these spiritual disciplines. I, I think the real goal here is to get to know him better. Had a uh, kind of a, an epiphany this week. I don't have those very often. 
I love them when I do, but um, I, it was interesting. I've kind of been thinking about the last couple of weeks about Andre Crouch and his death and what, what his work has meant to me in my life as a musician. And I'd forgotten, uh, by the way, Andre Crouch is one of the few people that is in the Groves Dictionary of Music that is a, a gospel singer. Uh, Gaither is in there too, which I find interesting. This is a multi-volume work, and Bill Gaither is in there, and Andre Crouch is in there, and I, I, I'm just kind of thrilled at that. But, but the idea is, um, uh, I got to thinking about his, his music and how much I've been influenced by his music over the last 30 or 40 years as a musician, but I'd forgotten what happened to me in 1974 and 75 that had an Andre Crouch stamp on it. You see, I was going through the worst year of my life. I was in some ways running from God. And every time I ran from him, I ran into him, you know. But when I finally came back to myself, guess whose music helped sustain me? And so I pulled up on Spotify this week, an old, in fact, I listened to it again this morning, um, an old Andre Crouch album that I listened to coming and going from Stillwater in that year. And all that emotion came back. And all that wonder came back. You see, that period of my life, it wasn't about music. It was about where he had called me from and where he was calling me to. What he saved me from. And that emotion, by the way, this morning in my shower was as real as it was what, 40-some years ago? 30-some years ago. Don't want to age myself before it's time. So here's the issue, I think. The disciple of strong faith, and that's what I want to be, will learn as part of my life, I will learn when it's time to feast. Today's a good day for that, Okay. And I'm going to learn when it's time to fast. I'm going to learn that in order to draw closer to him, and in order to not be compromised by the culture around me, I'm going to take some significant times in my life and just drill down and be as close to him, get as close to him as I can, like I used to be in my 1967 Firebird on I-35 with Andre Crouch in the background. I don't know why Jesus loved me. But I'm so glad he did. I heard that again this morning. What will you do as part of the discipline of your life to get closer to the Lord Jesus? That's kind of the question. Daniel said, I'm going to feast on some things. I'm going to fast from other things. Jesus said, okay, whatever you do, be careful how you do it. And for what purpose? What reason? Can I ask you this? Will you come back to Sunday school next week if I promise you'll have an outline here? <laughs> I'll do my best. I was just a couple of hours late, you know. I guess that's what got me in trouble. My fault, not theirs. I love you. Bless you. Have a great day. And we'll see you next week.